0: Yes! Praise the Lord! It is so awesome to see all of you this morning. Good morning, and welcome to Liberty Bower Church. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. It is amazing, isn't it, that we get to worship the living God. It is so wonderful, and I'm so grateful to be able to worship with you this morning, even in abbreviated form, and I just am so grateful that we get to open up God's Word together. So, whew. We're going to jump right into it. (laughs) We're going to jump right into our topic this morning. We've been in a series, doing a series this summer, looking at a selection from the book of Psalms, the worship book of the Bible. And today we're going to be looking into a psalm that was just read in part Psalm 103. The psalm is a song, a song about the steadfast love of God. So that's going to be our focus today. His amazing, eternal, merciful, and undying love. So let's consider for a second just how prevalent the idea of love is in our culture today. We live in a time where love is talked about more than probably at any point in recent history. Talk about love is everywhere. It's in our entertainment. We find it in our social interactions. We see it in our music and art. And it even surfaces in our politics. And unfortunately, love is used to justify a whole manner of things, everything from our consumer choices, our vocational goals, our lifestyle habits. And even though talk of love seems to be everywhere, I would even argue that at no time in our history is is the idea of love more distorted or I would say more muddled than it is right now. Most people, if you were to ask them, what is love? I would suspect that they would have a hard time giving you a clear answer. And if they do, if, you, if they do give you an answer, it's usually tied up with intense emotionalism, sentimentality, that kind of thing. Now, unfortunately, I fear that the church may not be much better in this regard. Because when believers, you and me, Christians, talk about love it seems like when we talk about it, the, the, what we lean to is more intense emotional experiences. That becomes our definition of what love is. And so I suspect that we're more often than not influenced by our surrounding culture than anything else. Now, fortunately for us, the Bible actually talks a lot about love, right? In fact, you could legitimately argue that love is at the core of the biblical message. Now this is so clear in the psalm that we're going to be looking at today. A psalm that gives us a rich and powerful picture into the love of God. Now this love, this love that we see so clearly in Psalm 103 is actually captured and encapsulated in one word, one Hebrew word. It is the word Hesed. It is a word that is so powerful in its meaning, so expansive in its scope, so transformative in its truth. In our English translations, the word Hesed is translated in a number of ways. You'll find it described in various ways, various times, as love, mercy, steadfast love, loyalty, covenantal love loving kindness, graciousness, faithfulness, unmerited favor, unfailing love, gracious love, generous love, and a lot, lot more. In fact, one author went through all the English translations. He counted all the ways that various English Bibles translate the word hesed, and he found over 100 different translations. Now, the difficulty that we have In rendering this word in English, I think it kind of speaks to its depth of meaning. One biblical scholar says that this word contains an idea that no single English word can express. That to talk about a definition of hesed is actually completely inadequate. When we talk about hesed, it's encompassing, actually, an entire thought world. Thought world that goes to the heart of the biblical revelation. Now this amazing Psalm 103, it gives us a window into that world. And through this window today, we're going to begin to draw on the depth of hesed, of which I'll admit we only scratch the surface. So the way that we're going to approach this Psalm is very simple. We're going to ask three questions about this word, about this beautiful Hebrew word hesed. The first question we're going to ask is, what does hesed mean? Or to put it a different way, what does Psalm 103 reveal to us about God's Hesed love? And then the second question we're going to ask is how is God's Hesed manifested? To put it a different way, in what ways is Hesed revealed to his people through what God does? And the final question is going to be a very simple question, and that is how should we respond to God's Hesed love? Now, because of this path we're taking, what we're going to do is that we're not going to go verse by verse through the the psalm. We're actually going to jump around the psalm, looking at key passages as they come up. So let's jump right into it with the first question. What is hesed? What does it actually mean? The word hesed appears four times in Psalm 103. Four times. The first time that we see it is in verse 4. Verse 4. In this first section of Psalm 103, we have an extended section of praise of who God is. And in verse 4, we read, This God, praising this God, who crowns you with hesed and mercy. The next time that we encounter the word is in verse 8. We read this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed. The third time, verse 11, probably the most recognizable or well-known verse in the psalm we read for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his hesed towards those who fear him and then rounding out the four in verse 17 but the hesed of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him so what we see we see that These references to God's love, God's steadfast love, it's distributed evenly throughout the psalm. So in this way, the kind of concept of hesed or the word, it serves as like a reprise or a chorus sung throughout the psalm. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a a worship song that was popular about 15 years ago written by Chris Tomlin. I'm sure you guys remember it, so I'm going to actually sing it. We'll see how this goes. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King, for he is good, he is above all things. It's like a Pavlovian response. (laughs) You hear the song and you cannot stop singing the response. But that's, I think, what's, what's like. This, this phrase, his love endures forever, in the Chris Tomlin song, is like a drumbeat for the praise of God's love. And it seems like is using is being used in the same way here in Psalm 103. We're meant to read this song or sing it in the case of the ancient Israelites and be reminded of this constant refrain. God's love, God's love, God's love, God's love. But you know, it's not just a musical device. It's not just a thing that, was put in there to create repetition, the psalm actually develops some of the, the deep truth of this thought world, some of the theological depth of this love. And for our purposes, a few things are important to recognize. The first is this. It's that hesed is central to God's character. It's central to God's character. The word hesed appears... 245 times in the Hebrew Bible. That's actually a lot of occurrences for one single word in the Old Testament. But what's even more amazing is that out of that 245 times, hesed appears 127 times in the book of Psalms. 127 times. That's over half of its entire occurrences in the Hebrew Scriptures occur in the Psalter. So what we get from this, we get and learn from this is is that it's fundamental to who God is. Steadfast love isn't just a character or quality of God. It isn't just a characteristic that we include along with his other characteristics. Steadfast love is who God is. It's who he is. We see this truth revealed in verse 8. The psalmist declares in verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now, in addition to being just really an absolutely beautiful verse, this is a really important phrase in the Old Testament. If you read any of the Old Testament, this should immediately get you some alarm bells going because this phrase, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, it is a phrase that comes up over and over again in the Old Testament. It's a common declaration about God. And you'll find it in some variation throughout the Psalms and throughout the Hebrew Bible. And so what happens is that whenever Israel faced a crisis point, whenever, you know, they were under invasion by enemies or whenever they are overcome with the depth of their rebellion sin and there was a need for God to renew his revelation about who he is and about his love, it was this description that was used of God. It was this description that became God's self-revelation about who he is. Now this goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. The story of Exodus, particularly chapters 33 and 34. What we read in those chapters, the story is probably familiar to everybody, but I'll remind you of the story. It's the story of Moses on Mount Sinai. And what the context of the story is, is that at this time, the nation of Israel has just completely rebelled against God, rejected his rule and authority over them. And they have set up this golden calf, this idol of worship that they have started bowing down to. They have rejected Moses' leadership, and they've rejected God's. And in this moment, this critical moment in Israel history, God says, you know what, I have had enough Let's just push the restart button. But Moses intercedes for his people. He stands in the gap between God and the Israelites. And he says, no, don't do that. For your name's sake, because of your love for us, do not do what you say you're going to do. And God relents. He says, you're right. I will not go through with it. And then... In one of the most insane, I say insane, and bold moves in all of biblical history, Moses makes an incredible request of God. We read, And Moses said, Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, Now show me your glory. That is crazy. Here is Moses standing on the mountaintop before the very holiness and anger of God. And what does he do? This friend of God says, show me your glory, show me who you are. And in, probably even crazier is, is that God says, okay. And then he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock. And he says, I'm going to pass before you with all my glory. And then as I pass, I'm going to cover your eyes because you're not going to be able to stand what you see. But then as I pass, you'll be able to see me as I pass. And I will declare to you who I am. And then we read in chapter 34, it says, has he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, and here it is. Here is God's revelation, what he chose in that moment to reveal about himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in hesed and faithfulness, maintaining hesed to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Two times God uses that word in his self-revelation, his declaration of who he is. Two times we get the understanding of the importance this is to who God is. Now this revelation became so important to the story of Israel. In fact, it, it becomes so important that it's brought up over and over again over a thousand years of the history of Israel. But not only that, it also shows up, this idea shows up again in the New Testament. We think of the Apostle John as he writes in his epistle. He says God is love, just reduces it. Down to its simplest form. Hesed is who God is. At the moment he chose to reveal his holiness and his nature to us, Hesed is the melody that he sung. Now I'm reminded of a quote from Dane Ortland, author of the book Gentle and Lowly. He writes this about God's love and mercy. He said, mercy is who he is. If mercy was something he simply had, while his deepest nature was something different, then there would be a limit on how much mercy he could dole out. But if if he is essentially merciful, then for him to pour out mercy is for him to act in accord with who he is. It is simply for him to be God. When God shows mercy, he is acting in a way that is true to himself. So when we see the word hesed appear in the biblical text, it should signal to us this is something that is deeply fundamental to who God is. It's a word that reveals his matchless, unchanging love. But looking deeper into the psalm, we, we discover another crucial aspect of God's hesed love. We learn from the text that this love that is depicted is unconditional and unmerited it's unconditional, and it's unmerited. Let's look again, starting at verse 14. We read, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Beautiful, poetic words, but when the When the word hesed is used, as we see here, it's almost always used in reference to a relationship involving a superior, more powerful party with a weaker one. And the psalmist acknowledges this fact in the passage. It's a beautiful verse, but he's recognizing his own created nature. He's seeing that his, his nature gives him no right or standing to deserve this love that God has shown him. Here, plain to see, humans are depicted as weak and frail, like seasonal grass or a flower that's withered in this desert sun. But over and against this frailty, over and against our transitory natures, stands the amazing, deep love of God. It's a love that's given to us in spite of our frailties. It's a love that is showered on us despite our weaknesses and brokenness. And as we'll soon see, it's given to us in spite of our deep and pervasive rebellion of him. Now I want to make one quick note about this love, this unmerited nature of our love. Because what happens is that I think when we think of God's love, we a lot of times Picture that love as begrudgingly given, don't we? We think that God is a sour, spiteful deity, that he only shows his kindness against his better judgment. Now, this is absolutely not the picture that we get of Hesed love in the Bible. As it relates to us, God's steadfast love is unmerited, undeserved. But from God's end, it is a love that's generous. It is a love that's joyful. And it is a love that's eagerly given. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Or to put it in the words of the Apostle John again, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot more that I could say about Hesed right now, really. The depth of this word goes so far, far beyond the brief confines of a half an hour sermon. But if you want to delve more into this, I have a recommendation you can pick up a book by the worship artist Michael Card. He writes a book with the title Inexpressible. And in that book, he unfolds a little bit of the meaning behind this word. But in that book, he offers up a summary definition of the word hesed. Listen to what he writes. He said, hesed, when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. And the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That is certainly an apt description. So we've looked a little bit at the true nature of God's Hesed love, but now we want to turn to the second question. How is that love manifested? Or to put it a different way, in what ways is God's steadfast love shown or revealed to his people. And we can do this because in the Old Testament, hesed is always, always a tie to the actions of God. Biblical loving kindness is a far cry from kind of the vacuous sentimentality that is, prevails in our culture today. Hesed love is it's robust, it's vibrant, but most importantly, it is always expressed through action. But what way specifically? First off, hesed is revealed in our forgiveness. It's revealed in our forgiveness. Now, you can probably give a cursory reading to Psalm 103 and it becomes completely obvious how important God's forgiveness and mercy is to this particular psalm. In fact, in the opening stanza of the song, we get a list of the benefits associated with God's steadfast love and the very first one that he lists in verse 3 He states plainly, praise the Lord, this God who forgives all your iniquity. And forgiveness is further picked up in verse 10 and 12. He said, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, I want to pause particularly right here in this moment. I want to pause because we need to take a brief second. We need to consider afresh how immense is our problem with sin. Now, it's quite common when we think of sin or when we describe sin, even in the church, we tend to think of sin in terms of behavioral wrongdoing things that we do wrong, ways that we disobey. And many times what we do even further is that we reduce that to a list, a list, like a laundry list of particular sins that our church culture finds most evil. And in doing so, we often ignore other more domesticated forms of evil. But I tell you, this is not, absolutely not the way that the Bible describes sin. Sin depicted in the Bible and at its core is this. It's rebellion. Rebellion. It is a rejection of God's perfect and abiding rule over us. Sin is a willful turning away of our hearts. It's an intentional placing of our affections away from a creator God and placing them upon an infinite number of paltry substitutes. What is more, sin is depicted in the Bible as a condition of our nature. And more often than not, the metaphor that is used for sin is that of corruption, brokenness. It affects the core of who we are. Now, coming to terms to this reality, only then can we begin to discern how much sin touches every part of who we are. Not just our behavior, but also our emotions, our intellects, our affections and our desires, our wills, even our physical bodies. Perhaps most distressing of all is that sin makes us enemies with God. Sin makes us enemies of God. It makes us enemies because at his very core, God hates evil. To put it in human terms, you could say that God has a violent, allergic reaction to rebellion and sin. And if we fail to deeply internalize this truth, about who we are, then we can never truly understand God's Hesed love. That's because when we come to grips with how deep our sin runs, we realize then how magnificent and unbelievable His forgiveness actually is. The psalmist makes this completely clear of, how, of the magnitude of this grace in the psalm. He puts it into spatial terms. He says, "As far as the east is from the west, so far." Has he removed our transgressions from us? Now, when you think about it, this phrase is kind of funny. When you you think about it, isn't it nonsensical? How can that be? It's not like he said, our sin is away from us, the distance between Chicago and New York. That would be, in itself, pretty amazing, right? But he says, as far as the east is from the west, those two things are not fixed points. Meaning that the distance between them is infinite. Exactly so, the psalmist would reply. We cannot even begin to grasp how immense is this gift that's been given to us. And so God's forgiving love, has inspired thousands of years of song, poetry, and worship, and all of it, every single word, is just a drop in an ocean. We will not come close to reaching the depths of how much God has loved us. Now you know what, I could stop right there. You know, sermon over, everyone stand up, let's worship. If we stopped right here, we'd all have a cause to fall directly on our faces before God in gratitude. But amazingly, what we see is is that the psalmist doesn't end with forgiveness. He goes even deeper into this hesed love. The second thing is, is that hesed is revealed in our restoration, In our restoration, we pick up the list of God's benefits again in verse 3. We read, He who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Now consider the verbs in these two verses. Look at the specific ways that God works out this love in our lives. He said, He heals, He said, He redeems, and He crowns. Each of these actions reveal a way that God takes us from our present broken state and makes us into something renewed and restored. Now, obviously, the implication of healing is pretty clear. What that means is that God is taking us from all the ways that our broken world has affected us, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, and he makes those parts whole again. It says he also redeems our lives from the pit. In one sense, this phrase could mean rescuing our lives from premature death. But most scholars who study Psalms agree that something more is going on here. Here we get an Old Testament window into the promise of resurrection. The promise that comes to its fullest expression through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what we see is that God in his hesed, he's restoring us. He's restoring us to a place and experience of eternal life that was once granted to us, but we've lost or has been broken in the fall. And finally, we read that he crowns us, meaning he exalts us to a privileged position akin to royalty. And in the New Testament, in the New Testament terms, he grants us the right to be called his children, sons and daughters of the king of all creation. So that's, One way that it's revealed in our restoration. The final way that hesed is revealed in this psalm is related to that. Hesed is revealed in our flourishing. It's revealed in our flourishing. Now as if God's forgiveness and restoration wasn't enough, we see that God desires our flourishing. We read in verse 5, Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Out of his Hesed love for us, God wants us to experience fullness of life. Now right here, it must be recognized that for us today, we ought not to confuse flourishing with the enjoyment of materialistic blessings. Although there might be some warrant for this aspect of flourishing in the Old Testament, at its most basic, flourishing here is meant by a deep and abiding wholeness, both personally and communally, that results in peace and joy. Now sadly, we all know that this experience doesn't, our experience doesn't always match up or conform to this hope. The reality is is that we still live in a world that's defined, marked by brokenness, by suffering. But we gotta hold on to that even in light of this reality, even in light of the reality of our deep hardship and suffering. The truth is, is that God still wants us to experience blessing in life, even when our circumstances challenge that promise at every turn. And the reason we can count on that promise for flourishing isn't because of our circumstances, it isn't because of the things that play out in our lives. Actually, we can count on that promise because it springs from God's own hesed. Out of his very character, he is committed to our blessing. Now, like I said a few times already, this is such a brief message. It doesn't even come close to describing everything that the Bible teaches about Hesed. But from Psalm 103, we get a little bit of a glimpse. We read that God's steadfast love, it's central to who he is. That's a love that's completely and totally unmerited. And that this love is revealed in his forgiveness to us, and further in his attention to restore us and cause us to flourish. But that, the question remains, our final question how ought we to respond to God's hesed? Now, I'll be honest with you, as I was like, you know, studying this message and I was going deep into this psalm, over time I knew exactly how I think God wanted us to respond to this message. You know, I could easily give you three practical points on how you can respond or live out God's love, but I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on one thing because more than anything else, I believe that God wants us to respond to this message today in worship. This is expressed to us in the psalm itself. The opening line of the song, you recall, goes like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Three times the cry rings out: "Bless the Lord! Bless the Lord! Bless the Lord!" The word, translated in other versions, is praise. It's worship, but more than that, it's even worship directed at His, at his own soul, at Himself. We, in these opening lines, we get a window into the psalmist's worships almost as if he's speaking to his own soul, attempting to remind himself over and over and over again of the great love that God has shown him. And I think it speaks to a sad reality of our own spiritual lives, and that is how easily we forget. One author points out that this illustrates perfectly for us what the opposite of worship is. You know, that's a question. What is the opposite of worship? What is the antithesis of worship? Some might say the antithesis or opposite of worship is cursing. Or maybe the opposite of worship is anger or sadness. No, this author would say the opposite of worship is forgetfulness. It's forgetfulness. It's forgetfulness expressed most tragically through our apathy, through our antipathy towards the great and amazing love that God has Shown us. So that's where I want to end our message today. I want to end with a call to worship. I want to end with a call to rouse ourselves out of our perpetual state of distraction, to rouse ourselves from our forgiveness, to remember once more, and hopefully to remember in a new and deep way the Hesed love that God has shown you and me. I was reminded of the classic hymn based on Psalm 103. Praise my soul, the king of heaven. Here's how the hymn goes, the verses. Praise my soul, the king of heaven. To his feet your tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Evermore his praises sing. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the everlasting king. Praise him for his grace and favor to his people in distress. Praise him still the same as ever, slow to chide and swift to bless. Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hand he gently bears us, rescues us from all of our foes. Angels help us to adore him. You behold him face to face. Sun and moon bow down before him. Dwellers all in time and space. I feel even led right now in this moment for one more thing, and I just want to also invite people here this morning who may not have known this Hesed love of God yet. You might be sitting in this room and thinking, this is amazing. Why haven't I not heard this before? Could this even apply to me? The answer is yes, it does it is for you as well. But we have to receive it. One of the aspects of hesed love that we didn't talk about is that it's uncoerced. God doesn't force us to accept that love. Which is why he doesn't come down in a booming voice and say, here I am. If He were to do that, we'd have no choice but to bow down. But instead, he whispers to us in that still, small voice, I love you. And I believe he's whispering to some of us here today. But the only way that we can receive that love is through our trust in Jesus. It's because, as we said, our sin, and all that is is that our rejection, our putting our affections in other things other than God, that has separated us from him. And there's only one way to deal with that separation now to deal with the consequences and the punishment that that deserves because that those consequences have been laid on the shoulders of Jesus through his death and then when we come to him and we receive that gift in trust when we say Jesus I trust you for what you've done for me what the bible says is that he now clothes us like a robe with his righteousness, that when God sees us, what he sees is not that sin, not our brokenness, not our rejection. What he sees is that he sees Jesus. But we have to say yes to it. So if you're in that place today, I just want to say, now is the day to say yes. And you can do that by just praying, Lord, I have sinned. I am sinful. Lord, I have turned my back away from you over and over again, but I want to come home. And I trust in what you've done for me, Jesus, and I receive that. And if you do that, God promises that he has accepted you as his child and that he will fill you with his spirit and that he will welcome you into a new family. So let's come into worship with him this morning. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.